All right. Hey, Christ community, really good to uh, be with you. Um, glad all of you are here. And welcome to those who are watching online and uh, those in our traditions venue, as well as our friends in LaSalle. Super excited all of you are here. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, um, I attended our denominations national conference in Chicago. Um, it's something that happens once every two years. And at this particular conference, a pastor friend of mine and I were asked to um, do a series of elective workshops on the topic of the Holy Spirit, how pastors and church leaders can help cultivate an environment in our churches where people experience the Holy Spirit in greater ways. Now, what makes that such a significant thing um, is that, uh, historically speaking, our denomination has not really been that open um, to, there's not a great deal of openness, historically speaking again, um, openness to the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead, there, there is often sort of a, a significant amount of caution, almost a, a fear regarding um, the Spirit's activity. And so we had no idea how many people would show up uh, for this. They put us in a preschool classroom upstairs on the far end of the building, I think maybe afraid something weird would happen. I don't know. Um, so so when, we, when we finally got up to speak, the room was packed. There was not a, a seat available. People were sitting on the floor. People were in the hallway standing up listening. I mean, every chair was taken. There were over 100 people there that came to all three sessions, which was, which was really cool. And it showed, it showed that there is a hunger in people's hearts for a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. And I just wanna, I just wanna thank you. I wanna thank you for being a church that is willing to be open to the Spirit, even when it means our church doesn't really look like a lot of other churches in our denomination. Um, and that's okay, but God, God is using you. He, he is using this church to inspire and help other churches experience more of the Spirit's activity, which is, which is awesome. But, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal about the work of the Spirit in our lives and in our church. And I know you know this, but I just need to say it. Anyway, there is always more to experience. There is always more to experience. We never arrive at our experience of the Spirit's work. He is always wanting to take us deeper. He is always wanting to expand and grow our experience of him so that we become more and more like Jesus in how we speak and how we live and, and how we love. Now, while, while the, the, this idea of experiencing the Spirit is found throughout the entire Bible, um, there is one passage in particular that speaks so powerfully to this truth. It's found in the passage that we're looking at um, today in the midst of our study of the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you or a device uh, with you that has a Bible on it, feel free to open to Ephesians chapter 5. So, so in the earlier chapters of this book of Ephesians, um, we learn, we've seen that Paul has talked about how we have, every believer has the Holy Spirit in them as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have the Spirit of God in us. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, which is an amazing thought. It's an amazing thought. The whole same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. But it also, if we're honest, it can sometimes create this sense of a little bit of a disconnect. Because if that's true, the spirit lives in me, then why don't we feel like we're actually experiencing him in our everyday lives? Why do we still have such a hard time overcoming temptation? 
or loving people around us? Why, why don't we more tangibly feel the Spirit's presence with us? If he supposedly lives in us, but we're not experiencing him, then either that's not true that he lives in us, or maybe we're missing something. And Paul would say, we're missing something. We're missing something. In the passage we're looking at today, Paul reveals a critical factor in our experiencing of the Holy Spirit. So look with me to Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Amazing passage. So Paul here, he's really describing a way of living. So he's talking about 15, 16. It's a way of living in which we actually experience the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And the word he uses here is the word filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Paul is talking about something substantially different than simply having the Holy Spirit living in us. It's different, and I love this word filled. It's a very powerful word. It's the same word that John uses in John chapter 12 to talk about when the bottle of perfume was broken and Jesus was anointed with the perfume. It's the same word when it talks about the fragrance of the perfume filling the room. Same word. It's a word used to describe this, this inward filling, this complete saturation. You know, this, this always, when I talk about this, it always makes me think of a dry sponge that's then placed in water. And what happens when it's placed in water? The, the water literally fills every pore, every open space, every pore of that sponge, every space within the sponge. The sponge is still a sponge. It's still a sponge, but now it has a capacity to fully be what it was made to be because the water is filling every part of it. Paul is describing an experience of the Holy Spirit where he permeates and influences every part of us. Okay, so I have here a glass of milk. But I don't just want milk. I want chocolate milk, okay? I want chocolate milk. Okay, and I also have here some, uh, some chocolate syrup. And so I'm going to just make some chocolate milk, okay? So hang on. Just be patient. I like chocolate, so uh, we're going to put it in there. Okay. Okay, yeah, should be enough there. All right, all right. So now... Chocolate milk, right? It actually just kind of looks like milk. If I were to pick this up and drink, it would just taste like milk. Because it's not really chocolate milk. It's chocolate, it's, it's milk with chocolate, but it's not chocolate milk. So what do I have to do to make chocolate milk? Ah, I have something here. Uh, a little device. Yeah, oh yeah is right. This is like really, really good. Okay, oh, look at that. Stirring it up. Stirring it up. So now, what, what happened? Well, the, the chocolate was sitting at the bottom. The syrup was sitting at the bottom until it got stirred up. And now, 
it's permeating the entire milk, right? It's, it's, it's permeating, it's influence, it's connected. It's still milk, but now it's chocolate milk. Hang on just a sec. This looks too good. Mm, mm. Okay, see, that is what Paul is talking about here. That's what he's describing when he uses the word fill. When we become a Christian, do I have a milk mustache? Okay, thank you. Um, when, when, when we become a Christian, the, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, right? He comes to live in us. It's just like syrup at the bottom of the glass. He is present with us. He is a part of our lives. But in order for us to experience his power, some stirring needs to happen. Some stirring needs to happen so that his presence actually fills every part of us. He, he permeates every part of our lives. I mean, look at the analogy that Paul uses here. It's the analogy. He uses the analogy not of milk. He uses the analogy of getting drunk. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. When, when a person gets drunk, what has happened to their body? Alcohol has permeated their body in such a way that their thinking is impaired, their judgment is impaired, their ability to drive and to react to things is significantly affected by the alcohol. They are more susceptible to making choices that are harmful to themselves or other people. This is why a DUI is illegal. They are driving under the influence of alcohol. And that makes a driver dangerous to other people on the road. So, so what Paul does is he turns this negative command, he turns this negative command into a contrasting analogy. Don't, don't get drunk on alcohol. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let the powerful, loving presence of the Spirit permeate every area of your life so that he influences your thinking and your judgment and your behavior. You're living under his influence. And that's not illegal, okay, um, in most states at least. Okay, so, so, so what might that look like? Well, in the book of Galatians, Paul um, lists a bunch of specific evidences of living under the influence of the Spirit. Check this out and just see if any of these things sound like they might be things that you would want more of in your life. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you long for more joy in your life? More patience with your children, more, more gentleness, more, more love for people, more self-control over the words you speak? See, those are all things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, fruit that he wants to produce in our lives. And the way these things are activated is through this concept of filling, being filled with the Spirit. Now, what is clear in this passage is that this filling is not a one-time thing. It is not a one-time thing. If someone asks me, are you Spirit-filled? My answer is going to be, it kind of depends on the day. Um, it sort of depends on when you ask me, because sometimes the Holy Spirit in me is being stirred, right? Sometimes he's being stirred. He is permeating my life in tangible ways. And then there are other times, honestly, not so much, not so much. The syrup is just sort of resettling on the bottom of my life, right? 
So the, the language Paul uses here is not a one-time event where we get filled with the Spirit and then once you're filled with the Spirit, you never have to be filled again. No, no, no. This is a continuous thing. That's the language he uses. It is a continuous thing. Paul is, is commanding us to continually be filled with the Spirit of God, to continually be stirring up the chocolate syrup of the Spirit in us. Hold on just a second. Okay. Mm, it's really good. Okay, okay. So, 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 so what does that look like? How do we experience this more deeply? Now, I, I know, if you're like me, I know you love, we love formulas. We just do, right? Give me, a, just give me a list. Give me a list of things to do. It's all I need. Just give me a formula. We, we love formulas. We love steps. But this whole area of spirit fullness does not fit into a formula. It does not fit into a formula. It is not this linear how-to list, and we get into trouble as churches and Christians when we try to, we have our experience, and then we try to make someone else experience that, and it just gets into all sorts of things. It's not a formula here. In John 3, when Jesus was talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, he described it as being like a wind, like the wind, right? The Spirit is like the wind, and the wind is not something you control. The wind is not something that you manage. It's not something that you put into a box. Hey, I got the wind here, so come on in, and then you put a lid on it. Okay, I got the wind. No, no, it doesn't work that way. It's not something that you, we manage and control. No, the wind is this powerful force all around us. We don't control it at all. We don't control it at all. But if you're standing in a boat, we're sitting in a boat, it's probably better. Okay, if you're sitting in a boat and you want to be moved by the wind, what do you do? You put up a sail. You put up a sail, and suddenly your boat is being moved by the wind. You're not controlling it, but you are being influenced by it. See, when we're talking about how we can experience greater levels of spirit fullness in our lives, this is not a form formula. It is not a formula. It's really more of an atmosphere that we cultivate. It's really more of an atmosphere that we cultivate in our lives. See, the question is, how can we put up a sail? How can we put up a sail, continually be putting up a sail, so that the Spirit, the, the spirit is influencing us in greater ways? So in this passage, Paul describes a couple of crucial elements to cultivate an atmosphere of spiritfulness in our lives. And not only in our lives, but in our church. This is my longing for us as a church. This is my longing for us as a church, that we would be a church that is continually growing in our experience of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit is, is moving in increasingly powerful ways. So how do we cultivate that atmosphere in our lives and in our church family? How do we, how do we again, stir up the Spirit in our lives so that he more fully and continually permeates and influences our lives? Well, there are two specific things, two specific sail-raising elements that Paul mentions here. The first is found in the actual command that he gives in verse 18. Look at this. Verse 18, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit's command. Be filled with the Spirit. Notice Paul doesn't say, go fill yourself. Go fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, be filled. It's a passive verb. The Spirit is the activator. The spirit is the one who fills. The spirit is the primary agent. So if the spirit is the primary activator, what are we supposed to do? We allow him 
to do what he wants. See, one of the key aspects to cultivating an atmosphere of spiritfulness is welcome. Welcome. It, it is to choose to welcome the Spirit's fragrance and influence to permeate every area of your life. It's to allow him to fill you. Now, one of the things that Raylene and I love about Colorado, one of the many, many things we love about Colorado is the cool summer evenings. And we, we love to leverage this. See, we, we have a whole house fan in our, in our home. It's basically a big fan in our hall ceiling that just sucks air up into it, okay? That's what it does. Turn it on, it just sucks up air. And so every evening in the summer, we open up some of our windows and we turn on that whole house fan. It is like a, it literally has a 12-hour timer. So we turn that thing on all the way and it's running all night. It is pulling cool air in all night long. We wake up, it is like 60 degrees in our bedroom, like camping, you know? It's, it is awesome, this fresh, cool air surrounding us. It is, uh, it, it's, it's wonderful. Now, there have been a few times, probably more than a few, when, when I turn on the fan and I forget that we don't have any window open and there's like this giant sucking sound um, and it, the, it feels like the house is going to implode and quickly I run to, op to open a window, right? I got to get that, op that window open and the air comes in. The fan was doing its job. The fan was doing its job. I was the one that was not allowing the area. And I'm just wondering, are there any areas in your life that could really use the fresh breath of the Spirit of God? Areas that have grown cold, apathetic, stinky, stale, whatever adjective you want to use. Areas just that have kind of grown, maybe areas of compromise where, where holiness doesn't even feel that appealing anymore? Are there any areas in your life like that or in my life like that? Here's the, here's the cool news. The Spirit is eager to fill that place. But all you have to do is open the window. Really, all you have to do is open the window. Just allow his presence, his love, his life into that place, into that moment in time, into that relationship. He is eager to fill you and help you. One of my favorite passages about the Holy Spirit, the entire Bible, one of my favorite passages is in John chapter 7, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit longs to be within those who believe in him, this, this stream of living water pouring out. It's this beautiful, powerful image, right? So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. John says he's talking about the Spirit, so we know exactly what he's talking about. And in this discussion, Jesus mentions the one critical prerequisite it's really, I think, the only prerequisite for us experiencing what he's talking about. Read this with me. Here's the prerequisite. Let's read this out loud together. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That's it. That's it. This isn't about cleaning up your life. This is not about trying hard to do better, and then I can ask the Spirit to help me. No, the, the one prerequisite, the one prerequisite for experiencing more of the Spirit is being thirsty. It's being thirsty. 
acknowledging our need. Acknowledging our need. The Holy Spirit is always available to us, but we have to open the window to that particular area. We have to open the window. We have to admit that our being in charge of that area in our lives, it's not really working out too well. It's not really working out too well. We, we are thirsty for him. And so we say yes to the spirit of Jesus in that area. We welcome him into our finances. We welcome him into that particular relationship. We welcome him into our sexual struggles. We welcome him into our loneliness. We welcome him into our work. We welcome him into, you fill in the blank. Again, we're not talking about whether he lives in you. He lives in you. We're talking about stirring up his activity by opening the window of those areas of our lives where we need him. So how do we cultivate this in our lives? How do, again, there's no formula here, but I do want to share, here's something very simple. This is, this is sort of just a, one thing to kind of get us thinking about this, but this is very simple that I've been practicing in my own life the last couple months. It's, it's a practice that believers have been doing for literally centuries. Um, it's called the breath prayer. And again, I've been doing it, what I've been doing is at the start of my prayer time recently, at the start of my prayer time, um, that's when I do this. It takes a couple minutes. Um, but it's something you can do anytime, anywhere, except underwater. It doesn't work very well underwater. Um, okay, so, so what I do is I, I stop for a few moments and I focus on my breathing. Inhale, exhale. And as I'm doing that, I begin to add to that rhythm a prayer a whisper, a prayer, I whisper as I inhale, Spirit of God, breathe on me. Spirit of God, breathe on me. Over and over. I may do this for a minute or two, but what I found is that it, it makes me more attentive to the Spirit. In that moment, it makes me more aware of his presence. Um, it can be so powerful when I feel anxiety coming on me. In a particular situation, start to feel it. Or ang anger rising up in me. Or greed, consumerism just starting to surface in my life. Or hurry when I just feel like hurry coming on, you know, or stress. Any of those things. In the midst of that, I can stop and do this, and you can too, do this breath prayer. It's like opening up a window for the Spirit to make his presence known in me. I mean, I need that regularly. Anger, anxiety, any number of things are always kind of lurking around, waiting to fill my heart. And I know you, you have things in your life as well. And Paul is reminding us that the, all of that may be true. Those things that may always kind of be, we're vulnerable to them and they're lurking around, but the spirit of God is available to us as well. Just open the window. Just open the window. In fact, let's try this. We're just gonna practice right now and then we'll, um, we're not, not done with the message, but let's just stop. Just close your eyes for a moment. Focus on your breathing. Just a couple deep breaths. Don't pass out, but just a couple of deep breaths here. And now as you're inhaling, I want you to kind of whisper this prayer, 
the Spirit of God, breathe on me. Okay, so that's just a simple, it's just a simple way. It's not the only way. I'm just saying, it's just, I'm just trying to think of ways where in the midst of our busy day, what, what would it look like? Just, I got to stop and open a window. This is a simple way to stop and to open a window. Something that's been helpful for me. Whatever this looks like for you, the key is bringing our heart to a place of yieldedness to the Holy Spirit in that moment and in that area. So we're bringing our heart to a place of yieldedness to the Holy Spirit in that moment. We're, we're stirring up his activity through the powerful window of welcome. See, folks, I know you know this. I've, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. The Spirit waits to be wanted. The Holy Spirit waits to be wanted. He doesn't force his way into our lives. I know we've heard this with regard to salvation. It's also true in these other areas. He is not going to force his way into the area of stress in your life. He is not going to force his way into your fears. He's not going to force his way into your addiction or into that painful memory or into that intense conversation or whatever. He is not going to force his way into any of those areas. He waits for us to welcome him into those places. And when we do, he brings life and love and peace and hope in that moment. He brings his presence into those places. Again, th th this is a continual thing. We can stir up the Spirit's activity 24-7 by choosing to welcome him into that place into that situation, into that area. Now, there's one other thing. Hold on just a sec. Okay. That's really chocolatey, I will say. Uh, so, um, okay, there, there's something else that Paul mentions in this passage that, that creates an atmosphere for the wind of the Spirit to influence us and to fill us, and that is worship. Worship. Look with me at verse 19. Instead... Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul is describing this atmosphere of spirit fullness. It is this atmosphere of heartfelt worship and energetic praise and joyful thanksgiving. That's the atmosphere that he is describing, and it's in community, speaking to one another. This is something that's happening in community, and this is a theme that we find throughout Scripture. This is not the only place throughout Scripture, so that, that when God's people are gathered together, when God's people are gathered and they are worshiping, they are declaring God's praise, they are declaring praise for who God is, they're expressing thanksgiving to God for what he has done, that act of worship... When God's people choose to do this, that act of worship is like raising a sail on a boat. 
Suddenly, the wind of the Spirit that is always at work in us is now moving among us, influencing us, filling us. Our intentional action of worship creates this present tense atmosphere in which the Spirit of God fills us. He, he stirs up his presence within us. And again, this is throughout Scripture. So think about that moment in Acts chapter 2. The birth of the church, Holy Spirit is poured out on every believer. Significant moment, right? And the word filled is used in verse 4. It's used in that passage to talk about the Spirit being given to each one of us as believers in Jesus. It's this dramatic moment where literally there is a sound of a powerful wind. As the Spirit is being poured out, there's this sound of a powerful wind. It comes from heaven and it fills each one of them. And how do they respond? What flows out of their mouths at that moment? Worship and praise. Worship and praise. That in all sorts of languages, they are declaring the wonders of God. <laughs> That's just this atmosphere. There's filling and there's, there's praise and worship. It's just the atmosphere. So two chapters later, the same group, same group of people, they're praising God, they're praying. Acts chapter 4, what happens? Look at this. After they prayed, and there was praise in their prayer, Sovereign Lord, they're praising God, there's praise and prayer. The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Again, it was, this, it was in this atmosphere of prayer and praise together that the Spirit once again poured out and, and filled them. It happened again. Again, it's not a one-time thing. This happened again. And then a few chapters later, in chapter 13, a small group of leaders, they met together. And look at what we read here, chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. I think we're seeing a pattern here. There is something about worshiping together and joyfully singing to one another and to the Lord songs of praise and worship and thanksgiving. Every time we do that in our church services, in our small groups, in our family, every time we do that, it's like we are opening the window on a cool summer evening. It's like we are putting up a sail and saying, more, more God, more of your fullness in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that the Spirit doesn't fill us and meet us when we're worshiping him by ourselves, you know, alone. Obviously, the Spirit moves in all those places. But we cannot, we cannot deny the clear and consistent teaching of Scripture that there is something uniquely powerful that happens when God's people gather together to sing praise to him. There is something uniquely powerful about that. From a scriptural standpoint, we can't deny it. It's all over the place. So what is that? Well, a few weeks ago, I was uh, a Friday night, I was in a stadium with 46,000 people watching the Rockies beat the Dodgers, a very rare occurrence um, this year, but we did win that night. <clears throat> so in the middle of the seventh inning, everyone in that stadium, everyone in that stadium stands up and they do something. What do they do? They sing a song together. Take me out to the ball game. Well, we all know it, right? It's, it's kind of a hokey song, really. It's a simple song. It's kind of hokey. No Grammy Awards for this song or whatever. But it is, it, 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 something stirs in me every time I'm a part of that. 
So what is that? Why is this song, this hokey song, stirring something in me? What I experience, I've been thinking about this, and I think I've got it. What I experience in singing that song is a solidarity with everyone in that stadium. Everyone is singing. Good voices, bad voices. It doesn't matter. Everyone is singing that song. And there is a collective joy. Parents are holding their kids and they're remembering when their parents took them to a baseball game and they were singing that song, right? And couples are holding hands and and people are are smiling and they're swaying. It is magical. It moves me every time. But only when I'm there in person. If I'm watching at home, if I'm watching a game at home, I don't experience any of that. Even if I start to stand up in the middle of the seventh inning and start singing that song in my living room. It's the being together. Singing that song together. Remembering together that makes that moment so powerful. And that's just for baseball. That's for baseball. Think of what God is inviting us to experience here when we choose to gather together and joyfully sing praise and thanksgiving to him, remembering what he has done. Can you imagine what the Spirit might do in us as a church as we more intentionally put up the sails of welcome and worship in our lives? I mean, really, can can you imagine the transformation that would occur as we open up windows of various areas in our lives that perhaps have grown cold and stale and apathetic? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the joy and the healing and the life that would be poured out as we regularly and wholeheartedly choose to worship God together? singing with one another songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. See, that's what I long for. That's what I'm praying for, for each one of us. And I'm praying for this, for our experience as a church family, to be continually filled with the Spirit through welcome and worship. Through welcome and worship. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Let's pray together. So I want us to practice right now. We're going to practice both of these things here. First of all, welcome. And I want you to think about your life and all the areas of your life. And are there any areas where as you're hearing this message, the Holy Spirit is saying, I would love to fill that place. Would you be willing to open the window? Would you be willing to welcome me? And I'm not talking, you don't have to clean up that area for me, but would you open the window and surrender? Yield that area to me. He's not gonna force his way in. He is not. He's waiting for you and me to open the windows in those areas. So I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us about what those areas might be. And then I'm going to 
just in the, the response time, just right now, right now in this prayer time, open up that window. Say, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes, and I know you're already speaking to our hearts about areas of our lives that you want to breathe life into, and we've, we need to open the window. Maybe it's an area of fear. It's an area of addiction. It's just an area that we just know we're not following you. But we just kind of ignored it. Maybe it's an area we hadn't even thought about and you're, you're saying, hey, open up that window. And we hadn't even realized it was closed. So Holy Spirit, would you show us what these windows are? And then congregation, church, my friends, I invite you in the silence of your heart, just open the window and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill this area? I welcome you into this area. Holy Spirit, these windows are coming open and we ask you bring your cool, refreshing, life-giving love and presence and life into these areas. Maybe it's places of shame, things we haven't thought about for a long time or guilt or whatever, just come. We open the window and welcome you. We welcome you. And again, I encourage you, church, you can do this anytime, 24-7. Just stop and open a window and welcome him into that area. So help us walk in this, Lord, this welcoming, this posture of putting up the sail of welcome in every area of our lives. Now, the second thing what we're about to do, it's the, mo- it's the most important part of our service. Our, our service is not over when the teaching ends. In fact, we're really getting to the good part. And we want each of you to be a part of this. We are a body. We are in this together. We want your voice. We want your praise. We want your solidarity with us. We need that. So unless you have an emergency or something already scheduled, could I ask all of us to stay here? for these next few minutes and to praise God together, together. This is not about worship preferences. I like that song, I don't like that. This is not at all about worship preferences. This is about God. This is about God. This is about us putting up our sail together and welcoming the Spirit of God as we worship Jesus together. Amen, are you into that? Amen, let's stand, let's stand. And in solidarity, let's worship the Savior who is so worthy of our praise. We love you, we love you, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you.